right, church, go ahead and get out your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. You know, a lot of times when churches end up talking about money and possessions, there seems to be a bit of tension in the air. I recently read this list, this stat of professions out there, well-respected professions. And for some reason, on this list of well-respected professions, on the very bottom of the list was car salesmen. And just above that list of respected professions, where it says car salesmen, was pastor. Hurts my heart a little bit. I have a friend of mine who is not following Jesus right now. And we meet from time to time. And one of the things that he tells me is one of the hangups he has with Jesus and the church is that it seems like the church is always after your money. It seems like the church is always talking about money. And let me just say, if you have any tension points or concerns around that, you pick the perfect Sunday to come to church. And I want you to know right out the gate, okay? When it comes to money and, and possessions, when it comes to money and the things that you have, look, God is not trying to take something from you, but he wants something so good for you. Man, we've been looking at this series called A Heart for the Kingdom. And we're going to see today that in this passage, like this is a challenge for the believer. But even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, Look, you're going to see right here that when it comes to this topic of money and possessions, you're going to see that we are challenged to really put into practice what we believe. That if we're going to have a heart for the kingdom, that when it comes right down to it, look, where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. Again, remember Nehemiah, he had his heart broken for the heart of God, broken for the things of God, that the people of God were in great shame that they would go and rebuild this wall around their home, that it was supposed to bring them this safety and security, but God was ultimately trying to show them something a little bit deeper, that what really needs to be fixed is their hearts. They need to bring their hearts under God's kingdom agenda. They need to bring their hearts under God's kingdom vision. And as they've been doing this work, we saw last week that opposition came from the outside. But do you remember what the people did when opposition came? Look, they weren't surprised by it. They expected it. They didn't sit back. They fought back. And they rallied to one another. Man, they remembered the God who is great and awesome. They sounded the alarm and they came to one another, but they remembered that God himself was fighting for them. And today we're going to see that the opposition, the trial, the tension doesn't just come from these external sources. But this opposition today causes the people to stop and think, look, what we're doing is not working. And let me just say this, church, when God shows us something in his word, when he shows us something in his word that we see in our lives that's out of alignment with his word, whether that's something we're we're practicing, whether it's something that we believe or that we're thinking or how we're living. When we see something in God's word that shows us that how we're living or what we're practicing is out of alignment, it isn't God's word that needs to change. It's us. And we're going to see today, look, in this passage, in his word, that when, when change comes, when God calls us to change, that change is indeed possible. And I want you to know that even today, change is possible. 
not because of our will, but because of his. So are you ready to get into God's word today? All right, if you're ready, shout amen. amen. Okay, now slap the person sitting next to you and make sure they're awake, okay? Because we need to get into this passage. Nehemiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Listen to the words of Nehemiah. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Church, I originally titled this message today, Change and Generosity Follows Vision. But I need you to help my bonus title. I need you to help announce my bonus title to the person sitting next to you today, okay? So I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you, and I need you to repeat after me. I need you to tell them, say, hey, neighbor, aren't you glad you're sitting next to me? Now turn to the person who was your second choice and tell them, look, vision provides clarity. Look, vision clarifies our priorities. It provides clarity for us. Look, change and generosity follows vision, but it is vision that actually clarifies our priorities. And here in this passage, the first way we see this is number one, write this down. When trials come from the outside, opposition can build from the inside. When there are external things happening around us, it can cause opposition, this tension, even a painful season to build up inside of us. Again, opposition can even distort the vision. And we see first in this passage that there is an indicator that something needs to change in the people. Remember last week again, look, opposition will come, okay? It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when opposition comes. And we are not to be surprised by it. We are to expect it. And again, we're not going to sit back. We're going to fight back with the tools that God has given us to overcome the tension and the trials and the tribulation that comes in our lives. And then we saw the people pray and they set up protection. And remember, we are to grab the whole armor of God and be prepared for whatever it is that God is going to allow to come into our lives. And then we saw the people rally around one another, sounding the trumpet and them actually fighting for each other. Man, praying that God's will will be done and his kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven. Bringing their hearts, keeping their hearts in alignment with God's kingdom agenda. The opposition that Nehemiah and the people faced last week came from the outside. But here we're going to see that those trials, that tension from the outside world would cause opposition and tension to build on the inside of the people and would spread throughout the people. But literally they felt that weight and that tension on the inside of them. 
And perhaps you're saying, Pastor Andrew, what is this tension and opposition that the people faced? That, yes, it was on the outside, but it caused all this tension and opposition to build on them on the inside. Perhaps you're saying, Pastor Andrew, what is that opposition and tension that they faced? I'm so glad you asked. I know I just read it. But look back at Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 1. And as we're reading this again, church, tell me. Tell me that this isn't on time for us today. Even though this is written about 2,500 years ago, tell me that right now it doesn't even talk about the current cultural, even economical climate that we're in right now. Tell me that God's word is not on time for today. Now there arose, again, a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with sons and our daughters, we are many. He says, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There are also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And he says, now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children, and they are forcing their sons and daughters to be enslaved. Couple of things I want to highlight here. First of all, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land, and a famine really is just a shortage of goods and resources, like what it's talking about here in verse three. And look, how many times in the past two, three years that we've even seen in our current culture that there is a famine in the land, a shortage of goods and resources. Come on, how many times have you been to the store or to a restaurant, and even now you still see that little disclaimer out there that because of the shortage of goods, things are in short supply and in very high demand. Look, I'll never forget in about somewhere between 2020 and 2021 where I went to Chick-fil-A, and I saw them put up a little notification. And I was like, come on, this is God's chicken. And I went there and it said, Chick-fil-A sauce is in short supply. We're limiting our resources. And I thought there is a famine in the land, even in this season, if Chick-fil-A is in trouble. But look, church, this shortage of goods and resources from the outside, man, people were feeling the tension financially and emotionally on the inside. So what did the people do? Look what happens next. They started to go to mortgages and high interest rates. Again, right now, do we not see some increasing debt and inflation in our culture? You know, there were probably some really high taxes as well. Uh, Most historians note that this time during the Persian Empire, more than likely the taxes alone were probably somewhere around 40%. And legally, most people would charge interest rates during this time period of about 40 to 50%. You think our interest rates are high right now. So there's debt, inflation, a shortage of goods and resources. And notice that the people said, look, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes, and our houses, just to get grain. In other words, they were going further and further into debt, taking out these mortgages, just so they could actually eat. Now, fun fact for you today, okay? 
Does anybody know what the word mortgage means? Like where its original roots are found? Okay. This is just a fun thing I wanted to share with you. Mortgage. So the first part of the word comes from this old English and this French word combined together. So the word mort means death. And the good part means pledge. So mort, death, good, pledge, mortgage means death pledge. So back then, like people, they would do these mortgages and they were literally saying the only way we're going to be able to pay off this debt is one day when we die and you just take the whole thing. It was literally a death pledge. And it's so interesting, again, real time right now in 2023. I read recently that in Canada, in certain areas, they are now offering 90-year mortgages. Man, you want to talk about a death pledge, say, look, the only way we're going to pay this off is when we die. 90-year mortgages. And the people, man, we see this external opposition, these threats happening to them, this external economic crisis storm happening to the people. This was almost even worse than when Sanballat came and threatened them because now this was causing this internal opposition to grow in them. And that's why what happens next is even so much worse. Look back at verse 4. The people said, we have borrowed money. Okay, we've been mortgaging our fields to pay the king's tax and all these interest rates. It said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as, as their children. And yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Look, this heavy inflation and debt and taxes and interest rates and famine, all these external things were leading the people to mortgage just to eat, but also putting them in bondage. It was putting them in bondage. And look, this shows us, look, financial worry and debt can actually lead to heavy burdens of bondage that can literally hurt future generations. Now, it's also interesting to note here, okay, that the Jewish law said, that you were actually to release anyone under any type of debt within about seven years or when it hit something called the year of Jubilee. But for the people, like this moment that they were in, it seemed like it was never going to end. And that the burden of debt was so harsh, so unbearable, that their only way out that they thought was to actually to sell their own kids into slavery. And again, this heavy burden of debt was impacting future generations. Church, look, I know. I know the past several years have been a roller coaster economically for so many of you. And I want you to know that I feel it too. Look, we've watched our grocery bill increase. We've watched our gas prices increase. We've watched our eating out increase and also decrease. Increase in cost. Decrease in frequency. And even in the midst of all that, we've had our own economic crisis and challenges as we've seen like our, man, a transmission go on on a car, having to replace cars right now, like during the time um, when it seems like prices are so high. In fact, just on a car that we just replaced and we just got it, something went out the other day called the oil return unit. I don't know what the oil return unit does, but I know it costs a lot of money to fix. I know it costs a lot. And I just want you to know, look, I feel it too. 
And even as we've prayed and, and we've sought the Lord and even started doing some side hustles ourselves, like to help us to overcome debt and to stay out of debt, I want you to know that I feel the economic tension and storm that we're in right now as well. And the people felt it during this time of opposition, culminating in this feeling of despair and weight under this crushing debt that they were facing. But see, Nehemiah felt it too. And listen to his response in verse 6. Nehemiah says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. And Nehemiah said in verse 9, he says, So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God, to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Now, pause right there for a moment. Church, there should be something different about us if we're following God. And the way that we're living, and the way that we're acting, and the way that we're actually responding to what's happening, even if we don't have any control on what's external, there should be something different about the way that the people of God actually live. And Nehemiah is saying here, look, we, we can't control all these external circumstances, but he's saying, look, the people were adding additional debt onto the people. The people were mistreating people. The people were selling their kids into slavery. It's like, this thing is not good. We need to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunt of the nations. And the nations could have easily said, look, there's nothing different about you. You're in the same boat that we are. Like, why in the world would we want to follow this God if you're doing the exact same thing? There should be something different about the people of God. In verse 10, it says, moreover. I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. And he says, let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and a percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And then they said, we will restore and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest, Nehemiah said, and made them swear to do as they had promised. Look, in looking at how vision clarifies priorities, number two, write this down, okay? Warnings and plans from God's word actually produce freedom. Warnings and plans, man, the wisdom of God actually produces freedom in his people, Look, there were some actual warnings and plans, and yes, even around money and positions, that, that possessions that God has given us that actually produces freedom in us. And again, here, Nehemiah, he gives some warnings and he gave a plan that would actually begin to produce some freedom for the people. He says, look, what you're doing is not good. The burdens that are external are enough. He says, stop cheating and overbearing your brothers and sisters, but also this overwhelming system of debt that they were engaging in was not good for anyone. Church, God has a plan for our money and for our possessions to be utilized. 
and this debt and interest and inflation and this debt slavery and all these money fights that were happening amongst the people, they were actually breaking down all this incredible unity that we've been seeing over the past few weeks. The unity and the freedom that God wanted for his people. Look, I really do wonder if, if the people had been following what the Lord had said to do, Because even the nobles, even the the richer Jewish brothers and sisters, they weren't supposed to engage in this system of debt to hurt their brothers and sisters. They weren't supposed to do that. That's wonder if the people actually engaged in God's plan, if things would have been different for them in the moment. Church, isn't it so interesting that this is in the Bible? Like right here in the middle of this kingdom-building project, right here in the people following God's kingdom-building agenda— we see this financial crisis happening. And they're working on this wall. And remember, they're working on this wall because it's supposed to bring them some safety and security. But remember, God was pointing to something deeper. And even though the wall was broken down, the Lord was trying to show them that, look, it is their hearts that are broken. Look, they need something deeper. They need their hearts to be healed and to be fixed. And remember when they first started to walk on the wall, work on the wall, you remember what they did? They consecrated the sheep gate. And do you remember what was supposed to come through the sheep gate? Sheep. Sheep were supposed to come through the sheep gate. But remember, even the sheep coming through the sheep gate, there was something deeper that God was pointing to. Because those sheep would come through, and they would provide the atonement, the sacrifice for sins. So again, as God continues to lead them and guide them, he's pointing to something so much deeper than what they see is external. So even right here, even right here where the Bible takes a moment in the middle of this kingdom building project, in the midst of all this external opposition happening to the people, man, God is pointing to something deeper. That even when it comes to our money and our possessions and the way that we behave with it, even that needs to be submitted under his kingdom agenda. Church, did you know that in the Bible, there are close to 2,300 verses that talk about money and possessions? In fact, even Jesus himself talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell. And again, the whole Bible, when you look at the whole Bible, when there's a concept or a principle that's repeated, especially from Old Testament to New Testament, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is saying, look, don't miss this. Because so many people often do. So many people get it either twisted or out of context, or they'll let something master them instead of letting the Lord master them. It's kind of like what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, where it says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, it's not saying here that financial debt is sinful, but it is a burden. And there's varying degrees of that. The greater the financial debt, the greater the burden you feel, the greater you feel like you are literally under oppression. It's opposition to the freedom that God wants for his people. In Luke chapter 3, when John the Baptist was preaching repentance and preparing the way for Jesus and God's kingdom agenda, he had all these people coming to him who were repenting of their sin, men turning to follow God. And when these people came to him, John the Baptist could have said, you know what, when you repent of your sin and you get baptized and you're following the Lord, he could have said, you know what, to grow, what you need to do is pray more, which we should do, right? He could have said what you need to do is to read God's word more, which again, you should do. He could have said, okay, as you're repenting of your sin, believing in the Lord, 
wanting to surrender your life to him and grow in him. He could have said, what you need to do is worship the Lord more in spirit and in truth, which again, we should do. But listen to John the Baptist's response. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And then the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Look, tax collectors were some of the most reviled people, the people who handled money so corruptly. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked them, and what, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats of falsifications and to be content with your wages. In other words, now that you are actually following the Lord, one of the main ways that you show that you actually have a heart that repented, one of the main ways that you actually bear fruits of righteousness, of repentance, is that you literally take your money and your possessions and you submit it to God's kingdom agenda. Look, he's saying here that even with your money and possessions, look, you, you're no longer going to use it now for your own personal gain. In fact, if you have something that can bless someone else, and if you have a, one coat and a second one, you give it to a person in need. Like, you're going to have uh, generosity when it comes to your money and your possessions. You're no longer going to extort people, again, for your own personal gain, your own personal desires. But instead, you're going to have integrity when it comes to your finances because you are following the Lord. And church, one of the key ways that we look at God's warnings And its principles is that we submit every single thing under his kingdom agenda, including our money and our possessions. And of course, the verse that we keep coming back to during this Heart for the Kingdom series is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in the same context of that verse in verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot, you cannot serve God and money. And Randy Alcorn, this pastor and author, he says this. He says, Jesus sees our hearts and souls. He will call us to take action that breaks our bondage to money and possessions and frees us to live under his exclusive lordship. Church, this is what God wants for you, to live free under his exclusive lordship. Again, it's not something from you. It's something so good for you. Church, it is vision that clarifies our priorities. And yet even with all this opposition from the outside causing all this tension and fear and worry on the inside, God gives us this warning and this wisdom from his word that is supposed to produce freedom in us. Again, this is us bringing every area, and I mean every area of our lives, under God's kingdom agenda, under his will and his ways. And maybe you're like me, where you're just kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired living like everyone else underneath some massive forms of debt, like the rest of the world where the borrower is slave to the lender. Man, God shows us here that his way is better. His way actually produces freedom. Not death pledges, but actually produces freedom. And then look here 
how this financial chapter in the middle of this kingdom-building agenda continues in verse 13. Nehemiah says, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and empty. Now pause right there again for a moment, okay? Listen to me, church, right here. There's both this promise and this proclamation for the need for accountability. And again, like anytime you decide to take a step in the Lord, anytime you decide to take a step to move forward in what you know God's calling you to do, even when it comes to money and possessions and your finances, man, there is a need for accountability. Again, don't just keep it secret. Man, tell somebody that you trust. Tell someone who's going to help you move forward to have integrity, move forward to help you actually do what God's called you to do, to take these steps in him. Man, Nehemiah takes a moment and said, look, look, we are going to be accountable. Man, we're going to make this a little bit public. We're not going to keep it private. We're going to keep this accountable and make it public so we can all follow what the Lord has called us to do. And it says, all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from that time, I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 22nd year of Artaxerxes, the king. Twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. And in verse 17, moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. And then he turns and he says this prayer that almost seems random in the middle of this text. He says, remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I've done For this people. Church, when it comes to how vision clarifies priority, number three, write this down, okay? Fear God more than any financial condition. Fear God more than any financial condition. Now, again, when we're talking about fearing God, we're not we're not necessarily talking about, oh, being afraid that God's gonna strike you down at any moment. What we're talking about is reverence and respect for the Lord. That He's the author and creator of life. That even if he did want to take us out, he could at any moment. So we're going to have this reverence and respect for the creator of the universe. But also we're going to trust him in every circumstance, in every single situation. Even if we have no control, ultimately knowing that God himself is in control. So it's this trust that we have for the Lord. But Nehemiah shows us some very important things here that how we actually fear God, he shows us some things that we need to have and some things that we need to do. 
What did Nehemiah do in this economic storm that was both external and also internal? First of all, Nehemiah had some margin. He had breathing room in his money and his possessions. Even his, his own needs, like he had all these privileges, privileges that he could have taken as the governor of this area. But that would have put more burden on the people. But Nehemiah himself had margin that he didn't need all the extra. Look, Nehemiah managed according to God's economic plan. Again, the governor under Persian policy, he had the right to receive extra taxes from the people to provide for his household and his servants and any diplomatic expenses that he had. But Nehemiah did not use this. He forfeited his rights to help the people, which again, God had called him to do. So instead of putting extra burdens on the people, he led the people to manage their resources well, and also to get out of debt just like God had called all of his people to do. Look, he took the warnings and the plans from God's word and put them into practice, and he helped others do the same. Look, we must, just like I believe Nehemiah did, man, we must understand what money is. And it isn't just coins or currency or Venmo like it is in 2023. But really, it's understanding that it is amoral, but it's also a tool for us. And what are you going to utilize that tool for? Man, we must understand how God views money. We must understand that everything we have is what God has allowed us to have. And I know like people work hard and they can build their wealth and their finances, but ultimately like whatever we have has been allowed by God. We must understand how God views money. And we must understand the potential for it. Look, we can use it for one of two kingdoms. We can use the resources that God has allowed us to have to come under his kingdom agenda, or we can use it to build our own kingdom. And it's so interesting here, okay? Back in verse 19. Nehemiah said, look, remember what I did for these people. Oh, my God. And he takes a moment and prays after he looks at the warnings and the wisdom from God's word that actually going to help them produce freedom as he's helping them take these steps, as he's showing them, look, I have some margin. Look, I've been managing according to God's ways. And he takes a moment and he even prays right there. Again, it's a reminder for us as we take these steps in the Lord to continually seek the Lord, continually turn back to God, continually submit every area of our lives as a follower of Jesus. Man, we see that Nehemiah had mercy on those in needs. He says, look, I'm not going to put these heavy burdens on the people, but in every season, man, God wants us to be generous, to have mercy on others. And again, Jesus even said in Acts chapter 20 that it is better to give than it is to receive. Man, we see that Nehemiah moved forward with the vision. In verse 16, it says that he preserved the work on this wall. And again, vision clarifies priority. Nehemiah was able to prioritize what actually matters the most. Church, I don't know if it's because I'm 43 years old. I know some of you think I'm like 23 years old, but I'm actually 43 years old. Like, I really don't want to waste time just responding to things in the world simply based on how I feel, including when it comes to money and possessions. And I really want to focus on what it is that matters the most. Man, I really want to honor God with what it is that matters the most. 
I want to use the resources that he's allowed us to have for what it is that actually matters the most. I believe the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so many times we're spending almost our whole lives on what is actually stealing, killing, and destroying. I mean, I love the second half of John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they, meaning you and meaning me, those who are followers of his. He says, I have come that they may have life to the full. Church, you can have freedom and fullness when it comes to your finances. You can have margin. You can manage it well. You can be a good steward. You can be a person who actually shows mercy and great generosity to people who are actually in need. You can move forward in what matters the most. Again, this is one of the reasons why we do teach about money and possessions here at this church, because the Bible in over 2,300 verses talks about it. But again, we want every area of our lives, including our money and our possessions, to be submitted to God's kingdom agenda. It's the reason why we do teach about tithing and also giving because, man, God wants to break the heart of greed and produce a heart of generosity in his people. And look, you can't have real financial peace and freedom even in any economic storm. And again, I know right now there's talks of recession that are happening and either it's happening right now or it's about to happen. And I want you to know no matter what economic storm comes across our way, for the people of God, You don't have to worry about recession because we've experienced resurrection. And God still has everything in the world under his control. And I want you to know that even no matter what happens externally, internally, here are some things that we are going to do for you as a church. The first thing is, look, this church has your back. Look, if you are, especially if you are a member here, If you find yourself at any moment, no matter what's happening externally in the world, if you find internally in your home that you are in need, this church has your back. If you need help with food, man, with gas, with bills being paid, with resources for your family, like this church will help you. And in fact, it is because of the generosity of so many of you that many of you have been able to be helped because of the generosity of this church. I want you to know that we have your back. And the second thing is, we want to help equip you to be ready for whatever may come with the economy. In fact, there's two resources I want to recommend for you right now, okay? Two books that you should get. Uh, The first one is, and sorry, I didn't have the physical ones because I'm a Kindle guy, so I have the Kindle books, but I printed out the picture for you. The first one is called Money and Possessions and Eternity by this guy named Randy Alcorn. Man, this is one of those, hey, get your mind right, Get your heart right types of books. Want to help you have the right view, uh, the right perspective when it comes to money and finances, again, in every single season. And sometimes, church, like we are being led astray in our heart. Again, where our treasure is, there our heart is. And sometimes we need to get our hearts in alignment, in the right place, to even have the right perspective on our money and possessions, no matter how much the Lord will allow us to have. But also, I want to recommend that you get this book right here called The Total Money Makeover by this guy named Dave Ramsey. Oh, one person clapped for that. Look, this is, if, if this one right here is getting your mind right and your heart right, like this right here is getting your hands right, okay? 
It's actually putting the things into practice. I mean, Dave Ramsey helps teach on how to have, how to save well in every season, how to get out of and stay out of debt, how to actually invest in a way so that when you are continuing life or even when your life is about to be over, like you're not going to leave a burden for your children, but you're going to leave a blessing for your children. And again, this is what helps produce some financial freedom. And then practically, many of you guys know about something that we do called spiritual formations. They're kind of like mini seminars that Coastal does or mini master classes that we do. So at the beginning of the year in January of 2024, we're going to offer a four-week spiritual formation class on something like this Randy Alcorn booking. It is the heart and mind, like getting the right perspective. And then in the summer of next year, we're going to offer something called Financial Peace University. It's a nine-week course where it teaches you to budget, to save, to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Again, to invest in the right things, to manage your money in a godly way that hopefully will not be a burden to you. No matter what happens, but instead, it'll be a blessing to your family. It'll be a blessing to others. Hey, maybe even a blessing to future generations. Church vision clarifies priorities. Change and generosity follows vision. Man, it is God's vision as people would experience freedom. Have you ever thought about how, again, it's so interesting that this is right in the middle of this passage. Have you ever thought about how much God wants you to experience freedom in this area, including money and possessions? Have you ever thought about how freedom is at the very root of the gospel? Come on, Romans 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is death. Have you ever thought about that there is a debt that you cannot pay? A debt that leads to such a heavy burden that literally, if it is not paid, you're going to experience eternity apart from God. A debt that is so great, that no matter how successful you are financially on this earth, if this debt is not paid, eternity is going to be the worst place for you. But God provided a way. The wages of sin is death. But man, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if we repent of our sin, and if we believe that this Jesus who is God came into this earth to pay the price for our sin, give us eternal life. That he is going to give us life to the full today. And the thing about that life to the full, man, it pays dividends on top of dividends on top of dividends. Right now while we're here on earth, but also for eternity. In fact, if you haven't yet trusted in the Lord. And maybe you've been concerned about your money and your possessions. There's something deeper that God's pointing to. And that's your need for him. If you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ, make this the day that your debt is paid and you experience the freedom that comes with knowing him. As our worship team comes back up to the stage, church, imagine this with me for a moment. Man, what if we were like Nehemiah? What if we followed what God says in his word? What if we actually had breathing room in our finances? What if we actually managed our resources, and our possessions in the way that God has shown us in his word? What if we actually had such an extraordinary heart of mercy and generosity that literally generations were blessed 
because we experience this freedom. Man, what if we actually moved in accordance with God's plan? Man, think about this for a moment. Just imagine with me for a moment. What would you do if you were debt free? What would you do if you owed nobody anything? Come on, death pledges are gone. What would you do with all that extra resource that the Lord has provided for you? Come on, would you not be a little bit more generous? And would you not look at your finances in a different way? Would it not bless your children and maybe their children's children for future generations? What if we as a church all in the next five years, in the next 10 years, aim to be completely debt-free? I mean, how many more gospel-centered churches could we plant and build where they're healthily developing authentic followers of Jesus Christ so the gospel can continue to go forward and make a difference? Man, how many people in the community, like, will we be able to serve? How many more could we actually serve beyond what we're doing right now? Man, how many times could you actually, you're thinking, man, that's such a great need, and I wish I could do more. But how many times could you say, you know what? It is easy because God's given me breathing room because he's shown me how to manage my finances because I don't owe anybody anything. So I can be as generous as my heavenly father is generous. Church, get a bigger vision. Vision clarifies our priorities. And God wants to do something incredible in you in every area of your life, including this one. So we just surrender even that to him. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, I thank you that, God, even right here, God, in the middle of this kingdom building agenda and this kingdom building message right in the middle of this project. God, thank you that you brought opposition into the lives of the people so they could see what they're doing is not good. And God, I pray for us who are sitting in this room today. God, if what we're doing is not good, Lord, show it to us, but help us to take a step. God, I've been praying that every single one of us would submit every area of our lives under your kingdom. God, help us to have margin. God, help us to manage and to be good stewards of what you've given us. God, help us, Lord, to owe no one anything like you say in Romans 13, except to love people. God, help us to be a people that unleash a crazy amount of generosity. Lord, help us to be a blessing for future generations. Help us, Lord, to dream bigger because you are the great God of the universe. We will not, we will not, will not pray it safe. But Lord, in every area, no matter what happens externally, God, we will follow you internally. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Christ's name.